Well, I, I personally believe that the movement of the Spirit in this day um, is that, that what God is doing right now in the church, God's always doing something. But, but when I look around at what's, what seems to be happening in the church um, writ large, you know, across the whole body of Christ, I see a return to a focus on Jesus, like a high Christology. I see a return to um, stepping into discipleship, becoming apprentices, disciples of Jesus. And, and so what you're talking about, where a revival that starts inside the individual and then moves towards the church is definitely more of the kind of thing that I'm seeing happen right now. I'm seeing, I'm seeing people who are, and I, I also think uh, that's kind of an internal church reality, but I also think that that applies to evangelism as well. I think evangelism is going to shift, or is shifting gears, and I think this is in response to culture. Evangelism always has to respond to culture because that's who we're trying to win. But I think that the response to culture in evangelism right now is a shift from bring everyone here to go and win them there and then they will and and then they'll come. And uh, you know, leaving the four walls of the church, getting out in the community, being Jesus outside of the building and and you know, then you know, coming back towards, you know, the gathering of the, of the saved, that, that, uh, that evangelism is no longer the responsibility of the clergy, but of the, of those who are, who are the followers of Jesus, you know, out there in the world, connecting with the people that you connect with in the world, that that's, does that make sense? Yeah, one thing that they're noticing they're going to be like trying to like nurture is like uh, the marketplace like yes. because they were saying like 30% of people like go into vocational full time ministry after masters and the rest are all in the marketplace and so they're like switching things up like okay we can't just focus 24-7 on the people who are going to be missionaries in other countries and people who are right. in churches right. so but I was just curious because, like, I mean, I was super hype and, but also, like, every, like the, this where conference was at was a lot, ten times more realistic than my experience last year. Mm. Where you, like, you're on a Jesus high or whatever you want to call it for, like, a few weeks and then you're, like, reality sets in yes. that. Whereas this conference, it was just really, really cool. So. Well, and for me, that's the kind of conference I want to attend yeah. is the kind of conference... It doesn't like give me this mountaintop experience, but then I get home and I have to like I find my feet on the ground and I'm like, you know, you know, it's kind of a wah wah moment when you get home. <laughs> you know, I'm looking for the kind of thing that is that is pr- pushing me deeper into Christ and helping me to engage tomorrow with and and but see that's what church that's what Sunday mornings should be too. I have a feel, I feel like a, a lot of church culture is makes makes Sunday 
like the day you're going to be a Christian and like every other day, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like, like you go to church and you have this awesome experience on Sunday and then it's like back to the dreary world on Monday, you know what I mean? And, and, and there's no where, what, what I would love Sunday to be is the celebration of what happened on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you know what I mean? Like. Where, where Sunday is where we come back from engaging in culture and kind of get, like, and talk to each other about, you aren't going to believe what happened when I had this conversation with that friend or, or what Jesus said to me in my, in my private time with him on Tuesday. You know what I mean? Like, like that, that we're engaging with Christ every day because that's, how, that's our practice. And Sunday morning is just a celebration where we all come together to 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 recap. Well, and minister to one another, like where it's not the the church is the place. The church is about uh, uh, the gathering of people that are all doing the Jesus life. Anyway, not the place where the Jesus life happens. Does that make sense? And and the the. The issue is, I as as much I'm I was born in the in the heat of revival. That's just reality. My like my follow, my Jesus following began in the midst of that of that movement in the '90s, where God was doing incredible things, um, things we'd never seen before and we didn't understand, and uh, and that's what really that was the launching pad for my love for Jesus was that environment. But I also think that it, it malformed us in some ways, not the move of the spirit, but the way the church responded to the move of the spirit Uh, to like for my youth pastor, like the more evenings you spent in church, the better. Do you know what I mean? Like, and like, like things, things like going to the school dance or, or going to the basketball game or like being involved in the life of the student body, they were all kind of frowned on as things that were taking your attention away from Jesus. Which to me now, and at the time I was like, heck yeah, it's taking my attention away from Jesus. I'm going to go to a prayer meeting or I'm going to go to this worship thing or I'm gonna whatever. And prayer meetings and worship things are fine and they're great and they're wonderful. The pro- but the problem is I was, I was not, you know, my light in the midst of other lights is one thing, but my light in the midst of darkness is something completely different. And becoming a person who practices the, uh, the, 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 the way of Jesus every day in the midst of a world that does not, this is why I have a real problem with homeschool as well. I just really do. I have a real problem with homeschool. And, and, and a lot of, I love homeschool parents and, and, and sometimes it's done really well. I personally have a problem with it because we're not teaching our children to be face to face with darkness, which they will be every day of their lives. We're keeping them like hidden away in this protected place, which is usually, usually why parents homeschool. Usually parents homeschool because they want to shelter their kids. I would rather train up my child in the way he should go and have him engage these issues while they still live in my home. 
so that I can say, yep, that's going on out there in the world. And here's what Jesus has to say about that. Does that make sense? And it's the same thing with the church. When Christianity is only done within these four walls, it isn't Christianity. And conferences, as much as I love them, if they aren't about what's going to happen the day after the conference, then they're not a helpful conference. Mm-hmm. Might be a fun time, but it's entertainment. It's not discipleship. Yeah, it's good. Like, I just remember leaving conference last year, and I was just, if anything, I was like, oh, this is sad. Like, we're leaving this perfect experience. Like, it was an, it I felt, felt like, camp. like an experience. Like a camp thing. Like, it was kind of like a camp thing. And, like, and then I'm super, I'm super, like, Oh, let's go out in the be the main shouldn't be boring. No, it shouldn't. <laughs> it shouldn't be boring. And there's nothing wrong with having a great band and an awesome worship time with, you know, all the lights and the fog and what that's all fine. Um, and even the speaker should be really engaging. But what's it about? What's it for? <laughs> Tommy Barnett was incredible. Oh, also. I love Tommy Barnett. The conference next year is going to be in Chicago. Yeah, so super close. So when I go, I might, I might go. You have to. I'll, I'll talk with Nathan and see, like, what that's. I would love to go. You should come. Yeah, I just wanted to know your idea because conference was just so many things clicked off and made sense. Yeah. Our conversation. Our conversation afterwards was insane because we because. And yeah, and Nathan has been preaching this gosh darn book of Joshua all year, and it was clicked, like it, I was in last year, and like all of these things, and I was like, okay, these are good, and they're all they were all like, okay, I'm here, I'm with it, but then after conference, I start, I, I said, it clicks, because a big oh my gosh, focus, like a large focus of the of this conference was like dreams, but it wasn't like what you want to do. It's like what are the dream, like what's the dream that God has put in you, type of thing, like. But they are being so realistic with it. Right. Like and Tommy Barnett from Jeannie Mayo. Larry Perez from Yeah, Utah. Larry Perez is incredible. Yeah. I, I do. Like it I was say. so good. It was just good. It was just good. We were, we were wanting to bring Larry home with us for a little while. Amen. He's honestly great. I would go to his breakups every time. Well, I, I'm, I'm really glad it was good. I'm glad yeah. it was a great time. I have a question. Yeah. So, something that was brought up to me the other day, and I was wanting to get your opinion on yeah. it. So um, it was brought up that, you know, Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19, it says there's uh, six things that the Lord hates, seven that are um, abominations. Yes. Right? And then, you know, in verse 19, it says, the false witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discord among brothers. Yeah. So that verse is saying that there's certain people that God hates? No. No? No. I was just curious. I'm like, (laughs) it says that? No. It doesn't say that that God hates the person. God hates the false witness. That, but but that's not a person. Witnesses. Your your witness is a thing which you present. Uh, okay. so it's not a person. person. I know that we use the language, but but 
But like when you speak witness out towards someone, that is your witness. Does that make sense? Yeah. And a false witness... Do not bear false witness. That's, that's, the, that's the commandment. Okay, do you bear yourself? No, you don't bear yourself. You bear false witness. So, does God hate the person? There's a lot of places where you could easily read that. Like, like it says things like, God hates the fool, and God hates the whatever. Um, but that's not, it, it isn't his opinion of them personally. Okay? It is his opinion of what they've become. It's his opinion of what, has, what controls their life and what has taken over their existence. But, he, but the, it is, God still wants them to repent. He still wants good for them. He still loves them as a human. Do you see the difference? You know, yes, God absolutely, he hates what's going, what's coming from them. He hates what they're doing uh, because it harms other human beings and it's harming themselves. For instance, you know, the, the way that I think, I think of sin like a disease or like a cancer. Okay. And it, it, say one of my kids were to get, to, were to get cancer. All right. I despise that cancer and I would do everything I could to remove it from their, from their body. Right. Do I hate them? No, of course I don't. So I'm going to do what it takes to remove that cancer from their body, but I do not hate them. When you think of sin, I heard somebody call this uh, medical substitutionary atonement, which I thought was really awesome. A really interesting uh, way of thinking about it. Well, you've heard of, okay, maybe you haven't. Have you heard of penal substitutionary atonement? Okay, it's P. It's P-E-N-A-L, as in penalty, yeah, I was about to say. not P-E-N-I-L-E. There's no way. No, it's not. Okay, and just to avoid the giggles, we're going to call it PSA from now on. Okay. Which is the idea that there is a punishment that, that exists that must be meted out. And so Jesus steps in to receive that punishment in our place. Okay? Like your sin created this like substance, okay? Called punishment. And that punishment has to go somewhere. It's like, you know, I don't know how to explain it. Like exhaust from a car. It's got it's coming out. It's just a byproduct of your sin. Punishment's out there. It's got to go somewhere. Something has to happen with it. It's either going to land on you or it's going to land on Jesus. Does that sound like a familiar message to you? It does, doesn't it? Isn't that some the way that we've described the cross? Isn't that the way that we've described what Jesus was doing when when he was suffering on the cross? That Jesus was stepping in to take on, to receive the punishment that was due to us. Right? This is a yes. This is a no. How many of you would say, that's what you were told is the gospel, and that's what Jesus did on the cross? I would say that that's a bunch of hooey. That's just my personal opinion. I don't think sin automatically creates a need for punishment. 
I don't think punishment is the answer for sin. I don't think punishment fixes sin. I don't think punishment is God's immediate knee-jerk to sin. If you go ahead, look everywhere you can see. What God wants is sin gone, not sin punished. Okay, now we could go really deep into a whole lot of different verses where when you read them, you're going to read, you're going to interpret from that verse, God wanted sin punished, so God punished Jesus. But that's not what the verse says. And if you will read it without that in your head, you won't find it there. Does that make sense? And if I had been, I'm not really prepared for this discussion today, or else I would have a bunch of verses to bring to your attention in, in regards to this, that, that we would say, you know, Jesus stepped in and took our punishment on himself. But is that what Jesus was doing on the cross? Yes, ma'am. Go ahead, please. Um, so I remember you saying something in one of these a while back. So not interpreting it as a punishment, as in God never wanted to punish us for the sin, but once, as you've said before, he wants to get rid of the sin. Yes. And so he sent Jesus. And I, I don't know, I'm going on my own thing with the Lord and what he's teaching me. Yeah. So in the sense of what I'm getting is Jesus came because, you know, he's so in love with us that he wanted to be the cure for us. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. okay. Jesus okay. took on sin, capital S, okay, into himself and in dying killed it. Okay. The disease, the sin, and by him dying, then killed the disease and the sickness. Exactly. Which is which is great, but that doesn't that doesn't help us with the damage sin has already done, which is why Jesus had to rise from the dead. Mm-hmm. So that resurrection power could be set loose in the world and the damage of the sin that it, that sin had already accomplished could be undone. Okay, and do you see the difference between penal substitutionary atonement? And here's the thing. The Bible talks about Jesus himself. He only talks about what he was going to do on the cross in like one or two places in the gospel. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Wait. Okay. <laughs> so like the other thing with the garden that we talked about when he sent them out of the garden. And yes. It wasn't as a punishment. It was to help them. Right. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm sure that they felt that it was a punishment. Okay. But the reality is God was sending them out of the garden because he didn't want them to eat the, of the tree of life <laughs> and be trapped in a decaying existence forever. Does this, does this make sense? It, immortally dying, immortally broken. Yeah, then, so that's, that's why he said you, you cannot have access to the tree of life, and, and which is why he removed them from the garden. He said... You're out of the garden because this is where the tree of life is, and I'm keeping you from the tree of life. And that was, that was does this make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So why didn't he just destroy the tree and then make the garden like? Uh, I can understand kicking them out, but why didn't, did, did, why not destroy the tree to just end it, you know? That's a great question. I don't know. 
because, because like, but why did he, so why did he put the, uh, well, I mean, the tree I, of I life. Know, I know why he put it in there, but like after they had sinned and knowing what it could do and what sure. it caused, yeah. right. why, why not just destroy the tree and then like make the garden a horrible place? <laughs> but know? why would the garden have to be a horrible place? Because well, now that they have messed up, no one's going to be there now. So why not? You know what I mean? Like, sin had entered in. My, I, uh, it's a question that guess, we're not going to know. This is just a guess. Yeah. But my guess is that he wanted to leave the tree and the garden as a hint that they would get back there. As hope. As God saying, I, okay, I am going to, I'm going to get you back. To, so right now, you're, right now you're locked out. But this isn't a forever thing. I'm not destroying the garden or the tree. Like the lamppost in Narnia. Kind of. They found the lamppost lamp once more. Yeah. I'm being serious. Yeah. It's a staple. They came back to the lamppost at the end. <laughs> uh, yeah. He saw the so, look of judgment um, in those eyes. Like in the Old Testament, I was reading Jeremiah at one point. Yeah. And so in Jeremiah, when the Lord is because like the Old Testament is just a shadow. Yes. Uh, as we've talked about. Correct. So when the Lord is um like he's saying you have I've told you to not do this, I've told you to not do this. So now because you haven't listened to me this is going to happen. Yes. So isn't that a punishment? Is it punishment or is it God just saying well, I've told like you Jesus. over and over again. I've told you over and over again not to do that. And yet you're still doing it. I can't protect you from what you have, the, from what's coming. Does that make sense? Do you yeah. see the difference between I'm going to do this to you now because you ticked me off? No, it's you keep running towards that cliff. Eventually you're going to fall off. There's a cliff right there. <laughs> if you keep running, you're going to fall off. Hey, there's a cliff. You're an inch from the cliff. You're falling now. And as they're falling, they're like, how dare you push me off this cliff? That makes no sense whatsoever. Now, does it? It doesn't. And, and, but that's what we do every time. I tell my kids. I, I think of, well, I think of Willy Wonka, you know, where he's like, where she's like grabs the gum. And he's like, I wouldn't do that. I really wouldn't. And, and, and she's like, so long as it's gum, that's good enough for me. And he's like, stop. Please, murder. Like, he's, you know what I mean? And then she, she eats it anyway, and look what happens. He told her over and over again not to do it. He told her it was a bad idea. He told her, like, stop. She would not listen to him. And then they're mad at him for the consequences. Well, excuse me, I didn't put that gum in your mouth. In fact, I told you not to. And then whenever he, because um, he, he talks about his rage and anger, but again, so that's more at, like, he's angry at, like, the things they're doing, not them, and he's angry right. at like what's going to happen. Yes. To them. Well, and yeah, and 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 please understand, like when I get you got, when we're thinking of God, we always have to think of Father, because that's who He is, and that's who Jesus revealed Him as. He is the Father. Now, when my kids do stupid things, I am furious with them. But why am I furious with them? Be- exactly. This is a harmful thing. This is a stupid and harmful thing that you have done, and that makes me angry. But does it change my love for them in any way, shape, or form? No, not at all. In fact, the reason I'm angry is because I love them. If I didn't care about them at all, 
then I wouldn't care that they got themselves in this situation. This is something I'm constantly trying to help my kids understand, which is very difficult. I am constantly trying to get my kids to understand, look, I'm not making these rules just because I'm some guy that doesn't want you to have any fun. I'm not saying these things to you just because, and I'm not angry when you do the things that I tell you not to do because, uh, because I'm, I'm just an angry, ticked off guy or because you, you did what I told you not to do. It's not that. It's why don't you understand? Why didn't you listen? I wasn't just talking to hear myself talk. How many times did your parents ever say that to you? Do you think I'm just saying these words for my own benefit? I already understand this. You apparently don't. Okay? But, the, but what do my kids always do? Whatever, they, okay, I understand. Well, apparently you don't because you still did what I told you not to do. I have that conversation with my kids all the time. And then when bad things happen, I really try hard not to be like, and what did I tell you was going to happen? <laughs> I really try hard not to be that way. I really try hard to come at it from a practical point of view. You made a foolish decision. These are the consequences. Let me help you navigate the consequences. You know? I try and get past my own anger and fury at and and just you know hunker down and say okay I'm I'm not gonna yell at you about what you did I need to talk to you about what needs to happen next and that you don't do this again I need you to learn the lesson from the pain that you're experiencing right now and that's where God's coming from and that's what God's issue with sin has always been about what it does to the one sinning. That's what, is, that's what the issue has always been about. That's what it will always be about. It is about his love for you, not about his hate for sin. I think we so often think that God's hatred for sin is more powerful than God's love for us. The only reason that God hates sin is because it's damaging to us. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I had a conversation with my best friend back home a couple months ago about or before the beginning of the year uh, about this. Um, <clears throat> and he got sent out of the jail and he was a heroin addict for a lot of years. Jeez. Um, and uh, we're talking about this very thing, like God's vision not being set so much on judging sin and pounding the sinner, but trying to separate the sin because of his love for the yeah. person, because he knows it's yes. damaging. Right. And he said, you know, because he said whenever, you know, whenever he was addicted to heroin, he would, you know, he would hear the voice of the Father tell him, he would feel something tell him, you know, don't stick that needle in your arm. Yeah. Because, you know, you see the 90 minutes of high right now. Right. God sees the eight years of prison time down yep. the road. Absolutely. The broken home and the, um, the many, many diseases that are in your body years down the road from using different yes. tools. Um, and that's what he said. You know, it's like, it's how God sees it being harmful to us. Because realistically, like, you know, I'm not condoning it in any way, but realistically, there's, you know, there's forgiveness for that, getting high that one time, there's forgiveness right. for that. 
but whenever it continues and goes eight years down the road, and, you know, just like my dad, my dad was in prison um, in his 20s for heroin, too. You know, no one, um, you, you see that 90 minutes right in front of you, you don't see the 10 years down the road like God does. And he says, that's going to screw you up real bad 10 years down the road. So why I don't want you to do that now. You know, that's why I told you not to have sex with that person right now. That's why I told you to not do X, Y, and Z right now. Yes. First Corinthians, that's which is where I was really thinking about going uh, this morning, but not this particular verse, but First Corinthians chapter 6. Um, let me see where this begins. I always forget that... Uh, when I'm on Bible Hub, I shouldn't use Safari because it just like freaks Safari out. Like, and I, I'm sorry, it's, it, it just does. It does. Safari doesn't. <laughs> Safari just kind of. Every time I get anyway. So verse twelve. Um, okay. Uh, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I want to back up just a little bit, by the way. The, uh, uh, the word effeminate and homosexual there are really kind of horrible mistranslations of what it actually says. But we're going to keep... Uh, this is not a verse... This is not a verse we use to talk about homosexuality and how God feels about it. It really shouldn't be, because that's not what those terms actually mean in their original context. The New American Standard, which is what I'm reading from, translates them that way, but, the, but that's not... These, are, these terms are very specific. They have to do with male prostitution, and specifically male prostitution in pagan temples, which makes a whole lot more sense when you read what he says before it. Okay. Idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, homosexual. Okay. Uh, idolaters. Hello. Adulterers, effeminate. Is it like it's connected. Anyway, I'm just going to say, don't use this verse to talk about how God feels about homosexuality. There's other much better verses to talk about it. This one's a bad one. Just FYI. Um, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Quote, all things are lawful but for me, but not all things are profitable. Okay, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away my member, the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to 
the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. Okay? Those verses 12 and 13 is really where I want to focus in. All these, all things are lawful for me. They're really in the original, in the translation we should understand. He is saying, he is quoting things that he's heard people in Corinth say. All things are lawful for me. He's heard them say that. And then he says, but not all things are profitable. And then they say, all things are lawful for me. Again, he says that again. He said, but I will not be mastered by anything. Okay, so hear what's going on here. They are saying... They're saying, if I sin, the Lord will forgive me, so I'm good. And the Apostle Paul is saying, even if that was true, it's still bad for you. Even if it was true that God would just forgive you for whatever you did, which, sure, God might forgive that particular sin, but what's at work inside of you that you would choose to do these things? Does this make sense? Not all things are profitable. I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will do away with both of them. When our lives are focused on what's happening right here in the physical and only in the physical, and when we don't understand what's going on as a through line from spiritual all the way through to our physical bodies, then we are fools. And sin has made a fool of us. Because what we do with our bodies really matters. And that's what he's trying to say as you move forward with that is your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. What you do with your body really matters. Your physicality is just as important as your spirituality. And when you are doing these things, are you being a temple of the Holy Spirit or are you being a temple of something else? The reason why this list that I read to you will not inherit the kingdom of God is because they don't have the Holy Spirit at, alive and at work inside of them. If they did, they wouldn't define their lives by these things. Are you with me? You cannot look at this list and say, well, if you've done any of these things, you're not going to heaven. That's not the point of this verse, of these verses. The point of these verses are when Jesus is at work inside of you and when love is what's at, is, is the law within you, these behaviors <clears throat> speak of a different thing at work inside the human heart and not Jesus, not the Holy Spirit. Are you all with me right now? Mm-hmm. Your behavior is a manifestation of what you actually believe. I was listening to a... Uh, a sermon about Dallas Willard on my way here, which I would definitely recommend any of his work to anybody. Um, and he, uh, he was saying, he was talking about belief and he was saying, belief is acting on, on what you know to be true. That's what belief actually looks like. Belief isn't something that just lives in the mind or in the heart. Belief is only belief when it is translated into 
the way you encounter the world. So you would say, well, I believe that, but I don't actually, I don't act like I believe it. Then you don't believe it. You might have a mental assent to it. You might say, you might say, I think that is true, but you can't say you believe it until it affects the way you live. Like, I believe that this chair will hold my weight. Which, with some of these chairs, that's kind of a shaky belief, to be honest. <laughs> I believe that this chair will hold my weight, which is why I'm not, like, really gingerly, like, like, like. Have you ever sat in a chair that you weren't sure would hold your weight? Probably none of you have ever been that heavy like me. I sat, I, yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. Yeah, when he sits down in the chair and he's like, uh, and then it breaks. <laughs> I, be, I, I believe in the ability of this chair to hold my weight, which is why I'm, that. So, so I have no hesitancy about sitting in it. If I did not believe it would hold my weight, I either wouldn't sit in it at all, or I would be very, very careful in the way that, I, regardless, what I believe about this chair affects the way I act toward it. And what you believe about God affects the way that you exist in the world. And if, you, if it doesn't affect the way that you exist in the world, then your belief is wrong. You don't believe. We have to understand that. We have to connect with the fact that belief is only, uh, belief requires action, or uh, that's, that's wrong. I don't want to say it like that. Belief is truth in action. Belief is evidenced by your action. If you believe something, it will affect the way you act. And if it doesn't affect the way you act, you don't believe it. Does that make sense? And so when you read verses like this, and it gives this whole list of, you know, things like these, none of these people will inherit the kingdom of God. What the Apostle Paul is pointing at is there's a belief problem there. That is resulting in wrong activity and action. Problem, however, exists on the inside, not on the outside. Is everybody with me on that? Mm -hmm. What Jesus wants to do, what Jesus has come to do, is to change what we believe. I put a question out there on Facebook today. I think my computer just for Oh, no, good. Thank you, Jesus. I put a question out there on Facebook today. What was the primary message of Jesus? That was my, that was my question that I put out there. I just said, comments, no arguments. And if anybody tries to argument with, argue with what someone else has to say about is the core, then I'm going to delete their comments. I mean, because that's not what this is for. I just want you to make a statement. What you believe is the core is the core teaching of Jesus. And like the second thing that was posted was, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the good news. And I was like, that's really good. That's really good. Because 
That was the message that Jesus preached the most. What does that mean? That statement. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Give me that in modern English. Come on. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. I would say it's kind of like a um, declaration of Jesus coming into the world. Um, the kingdom of God is at hand. Um, I'm, this may be a stretch, but like Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. What does that mean? How is that? Uh, uh, that's you just repeated <laughs> what I said to you. What does that mean? I'm trying to think of that in modern terms, man. I don't know. I would give it as almost like a warning, just like saying, "Hey, you know, it's time to wake up. It's time to like, you know, get yourself right because God's coming. He's here. You know, you you have the choice of either repenting and getting yourself right and believing that He's here, or you you don't choose that." Right. Like, yeah. It's, it's saying, hey, you know, it's time to, time to figure your life out here. Right. But here's my question to you. Is that good news? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Is that good news or not? Repent and believe the good news. Jesus specifically calls it good news. Is a warning ever good news? It more reminds me of... I'm just asking. What do you think? Is a warning good news? Not typically. I'm more thinking of it as when, like, the kingdom and everything, as in, as people have been continuing saying, like, Jesus coming, Jesus is here with us. Like, prepare yourself for him. Be excited that he's here and everything. And <laughs> Jesus. Did you accidentally summon me? Jesus. But, uh, but um, I feel as though when they're saying repent and with the good news, like he's saying, you know, renew your mind, change your mind, um, and prepare yourself for Jesus sure. that is coming and right. to make yourself better so that when he's here, you're ready. And like when he's here again, like he's here, but here again <laughs> for a second time, you're ready and you're right. ready for that. And sure. I feel as though that's what he's saying. And whenever you hear it in that way, you're like, well, yeah, of course I want to be ready for that. That's great news. He's coming again for us again. Like, you know, that sounds more like good news to me, saying, you know, change your mind, change your heart so you can be ready for your bridegroom that's coming. Anybody else? What does it mean? Yeah. So I keep thinking that maybe he's not talking about specifically heaven, the place as the kingdom of God, but maybe like the presence and experiencing heaven on earth is at hand. Mm. 
and um, made me um, believe and repent the good news, as in all of this is kind of right around a, hey, let me love you type yeah. of thing. I like that. I, I really like that first part. Uh, well, the second part's true too, but I really like the first part. Um, uh, I, what I'm hearing here, I, I don't blame you because that's exactly how I was always taught to tra- to to hear those words. Okay, as a warning, as a you better be ready. People get ready. Jesus, Jesus is coming. Okay. She, I love Missy Edwards. Edwards. She's amazing. But but I'm just saying. That's how that's how I've always been taught to interpret it, but that is not what Jesus was saying. Interesting. What Jesus was saying was, the kingdom of God. Let's change the change the verbiage because we don't connect with the word kingdom. How about the administration of God, the presidency of God, the government of God. All of those mean very similar to exactly what the Greek word was that Jesus was using. Okay? The actual rulership of God, okay, is at hand. The kingdom of God, when Jesus talked about it, was never heaven. He wasn't talking about heaven. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the system of of God's rulership. The administration of God. Okay? When he says, is at hand, it means it's right here. It's here. It's present. It's close by. It's available. Repent. Rethink everything. And believe the good news, which is that the rulership of God is here. It's around you. It's present. And it can be brought to bear. On, on what's going on in the earth. That right here, right now, if we'll step into alignment with the rulership of God in this moment, the rulership of God will be made manifest in your life. And that's really, really good news. This isn't a, you better get clean because the judgment is coming. That is not what's going on. This is not Jesus going, wash yourself. Wash yourself like you're going to sell yourself on eBay. This is not what it is, okay? This is not what it means, okay? This is, it is not, it is not, judgment is coming, so you better get right. That's not what Jesus was saying. Because that wouldn't be good news at all. That's a warning, right? And Jesus gave some warnings. He absolutely did. But not this. This is not warning. This is good news. God's coming to make wrong things right. God's coming to set the world back to the way he created it. God's coming to fix what's broken. That's what, that's what Jesus was saying. That God is here to fix what's broken. God is here to undo what sin has done. God is here to change everything. That's what Jesus was preaching. Metanoia. Rethink. Change your mind. Because we understand the way the world works. 
the way the kingdom of this age works. We get it. We all grew up in it. We all exist in it. And Jesus is saying, stop thinking about the, the world the way the world tells you to think about the world. And start thinking about the world the way God thinks about the world. And then he began to preach in the kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Let me help you understand who the higher ups of the kingdom are. Who uh, in the, in this sermon by Dallas Willard on my way here, he said, he said, there's really four questions. I got to pull out my phone and read them. Or maybe I have it here. He said, there's questions that every, like every worldview has to answer. And Jesus answered them. And we need to understand that. Okay? There's questions that... <laughs> you can be all right over there? <laughs> wow, praise the Lord. Uh, number, question number one. This is the question that every philosophical worldview has to answer. Okay? Question number one. What is the nature of reality? Question number two. Who has the good life? Question number three, what does it look like to be a good person? And question number four, how do you become a good person? Every philosophical worldview has to answer those questions. And they all do answer those questions, even if they don't do it directly. So I want you to think right now about the world that you grew up in. All right. And when I... And let's kind of skip past the what's the nature of reality question because probably most of us have never thought about it. But these other three are much easier. So when you're looking around at our culture today and you think, boy, they've got it good, what does that look like? Money, success, power. Money, fame, and power. Money, fame, and power, and maybe sex, right? Money, fame, and power, and sometimes... And but with that comes with sex, that. probably. Uh, money, fame, and power, right? That, that, absolutely right. Yeah. You have heard the message of this culture really well. Yeah. Now, did anybody come along when you were a kid and say, now what you want is a lot of money, and you want to get as much power as you can get, and you want to be really famous? Did anybody ever say those things to you? Like, explicitly? Not explicitly. No. But implicitly, they told you that every single day. Every single day, well, you want to get a good job because you want to make, they would say good money or enough money. What they really mean is money, 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 right? Okay. And there are some people, they would just straight up say that, like, you need to get yours, you know, like that, like people say that kind of stuff, like that are being really honest. What I want is money, fame, and power. That's what I want. And the people that I look at in our culture and say they've, got, they've done it right are the people that have what? Money, fame, and power. Which is why the entire world is obsessed with President Donald Trump because what does he have? And even people that hate him would still say, I hate him, but how did he get so much money, fame, and power? He shouldn't have that much money, fame, and power. They're really mad at him, really only because he has money, fame, and power, and they don't, and they're mad about that. I would say President Donald Trump understands some things about the world that they don't understand, that you can't have a divided heart. 
and get what you can't say. I want pe- I want good things to happen to people and and still pursue money, fame, and power at all costs. It doesn't work. You've got a divided heart. It's not going to work for you. Okay. Who would they say is a really good person in our culture? Sure, but are they going to give money, fame, and power to that person? No. Maybe fame, maybe a little fame. Maybe a little bit. And maybe a little money just to make them feel better. But they're not actually going to really give money, fame, and power to that person. Not really. And the minute one of those people starts talking, like starts trying to take power, everybody flips out. Wait a minute. You, you want to take some of my money and give it to someone else? Uh, no, I don't think so. It's like, well, I mean, doesn't it look like to be a good person is to like help other people? Yeah, but I want to be able to do that on my own. I don't want anybody to do that for me. Right? Because socialism doesn't work, guys. It worked in the early church, but let's keep moving. Uh, there's an article I would love to have you all read called Jesus Was a Socialist. Uh, it's it's really really good article I gotta say uh, it's a really really good article I don't know if I agree with I don't agree with everything the guy said maybe eighty percent of what he said but go read the teachings of Jesus again Jesus would have been absolutely for a government which took money from rich people and gave it to poor people in fact the government of the Old Testament was a government in which people gave money into the government so that it could go to poor people but we're just gonna keep moving. We're just going to keep moving. <laughs> so who's a really good person? You're right. Our, our culture would, would point at, right? They would point at these people that, okay, but, but are those the people that are receiving the, 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 the good life of our culture? They're not. And so there's this hidden understanding that we think, we, well, we like those people, but they're not really the best people. The best people are people like Bill and Melinda Gates who have money, fame, and power and use it for a good cause. Those are the good people. Are you with me? Does this make sense? Okay. And how do you become a good person? That's a really good question. How do you become a good person? How do you become a good person in our culture? How do you become a good person? Being selfless, but, uh, like basically, because like the person gives stuff away. Sure. Culture, so right. But but what about money, fame, and power? It is. In our culture, how, how do you become a good person? A good person. Yeah. Because like. This totally reminds me of like the whole thing, good or God thing, and like so I flipped out because I love Princess Diana, and they talked about they brought her up. Yeah. And I was I was offended because I was like I love Princess Diana because right. she did all these amazing things. She did. But at the same time, from a godly perspective, she wasn't like I don't know I don't remember the argument. 
Did she have some messed up values when it came to like sex and yeah, drugs and something? She absolutely world, did. And our world but did she make the world a better place? I personally believe she absolutely did. And but I think in our culture now, like what is considered a, a good person is to some degree somebody who is like selfless, like very selfless, but they're also aware of their influence and resources. So to me, somebody who is good is somebody who um, is selfless, but they not to the point where they like completely like break themselves. Because I think being selfless is a great quality to have, but mm-hmm. you can't make yourself feel like a hundred percent broke. I mean, obviously, like we always say, the Lord will take care of you, and that is true. But like to some degree, like you have to have a good balance. Sure. I think. Personally. Okay. Anyway, I think those those are interesting questions. And and what what I wanted to do, when, that's the, it was those questions that kind of stirred this. Like, what was Jesus' primary message? Okay, Jesus' primary message, and believe, or the kingdom of God is at hand. Believe and repent, or repent and believe the good news. So, the government, the government, and the administration of God, the the power of God is is available. Because of that, you should think about the whole world completely differently. And you should start acting as if the power of God was actually available. That's the message. Change the way you act to align with the government of God and the culture of God and not the government and culture of this world. Let the things that God says and does and, and loves govern the way you live your life, not the way the world acts and speaks and believes. It's time to change your narrative. To change the way you think the world actually works. Whereas the world that we exist in is a materialistic world, okay? That's the, you know, the, those things that I just talked about, the, the what's the good life, what is a really good person, how do you become a good person, those things flow out of our understanding of the nature of reality. How does the world work? Right? Are you with me in that? And our culture is trapped right now in between two understandings of how the world works. We either believe kind of a Darwinian understanding of how the world works, which is like the fit, only the fittest survive and, and this, you know, might makes right. And okay. Or which that's how the business world works. That's how the social world works. That's how so many worlds work. That's how our world works in so many ways. But then the other piece of that is, but I want to be a nice person. Now, evolutional uh, sociologists would tell you, and that's really a thing, where they say, okay, if evolution is true, then how come we don't like it when people aren't nice to us? But if evolution, just, just put yourself in their brain for a minute, okay? If evolution is true, and they would say, 
it absolutely is, then what's at work in our evolutionary past which makes it so that uh, uh, we don't like people that aren't nice? Like, why, do, why does our culture, which is shaped by evolution, believe that, like, nice people should prevail? But they don't. Can I just say that to you? Our culture does not reward kindness. Culture does not, re- it, it does not. It likes to say that it does, but it doesn't. Truly kind and good people are going to get crushed by the person who will do anything in the pursuit of money, fame, and power. If you don't believe me, go watch Survivor. Now you have to at least pretend you have to pay lip service to kindness. You have to act like you're nice in certain situations. But then when no one is looking or when only those who are hooked to your wagon are looking, then you can be a total jerk and everybody's still going to be like, you're awesome. Are you with me right now? Is everybody everybody connecting with this? Okay. Jesus said, nope. Your insides and your outsides need to look the same and they need to look like love. The opposite of self-interest. Do you want to know why socialism doesn't work? I'll explain it to you. Because it really hasn't, although... (laughs) The myth of individualism is pretty powerful in our culture, and we'll, we'll go there some other time, but... Yeah, yeah, you're not, just FYI. You are everyone that's ever been around you. You are, you are what your culture has created you to be, including the Christian culture and the Bible yeah. and whatever. You aren't an individual. None of us are. We are a community, a collective. There's no such thing as an individual. It's just not. It doesn't exist. But that's, that's a whole other thing. So, <laughs> yeah, we, we could have a lot of fun with that one. Um, what? <laughs> I'm not saying God doesn't want you to be who, who he created you to be, but who, cre- who he created you to be is a member of a community. Who he created you to be is to share your existence with every single person around you. What is what is the first and greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And what do those look like? Okay. Our, our yeah. <laughs> our motion towards God is a motion away from self and towards one another and God. That's what, that's what love looks like. Love is, love is letting someone else fill my plate instead of filling my plate myself. And I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to fill your plate. Did I ever tell you about the, the, the vision the guy had of heaven and hell? Okay. Heaven and hell. He walks into this doorway and he sees, the, he sees hell. And it's these people and they're all sitting around this table and in front of them is this incredible feast. Okay. But instead of hands, they have really long forks and spoons. Okay? So long that when they fork the food and they try to put it in their mouth, they miss their mouth because it's too long and it goes past their head. So they're all around this feast and they're all starving to death because they can't feed themselves. And then he walks into another room and and this room is heaven 
And in this room, everyone's hands have become long spoons and forks as well. They're exactly the same. But in this room, they're feeding each other. And in the other room, they're only feeding themselves. Heaven and hell look are the same. It is you and your understanding and posture in the world that makes it different. <laughs> That's what I, I would really love to begin to, to, to really teach about. The, I, I, the afterlife is not about like, oh, you're going to room 27B and you're going to room you know, 33A, it's, that's not it. There isn't, a, there isn't an, a, an escalator that goes up and an escalator that goes down. It's all about when you leave your body, what is the state of your soul? Are you healed and whole and in good relationship with God and man? Because if you are, then as you leave, you're going to be surrounded by God and by, and by people that love you. And you will exist in healedness and wholeness and joy. But if your relationship with yourself and with God and with man is totally broken and you leave this body, you're leaving into that brokenness. You, you, now the, the, the flesh which has shielded you from experiencing that brokenness 24 hours a day, seven days a week, is now gone and you will only have your brokenness left. And what is that other than hell? And do you see the difference between that and between some guy at a desk going, okay, you're going to go up the escalator. Oh, I'm sorry, you're going the down escalator. <coughs> and doesn't that change what has to happen as we follow Christ? Because now it's not whether or not you have a reservation in the book. It's the state of your soul when you reach the afterlife. And here's Jesus teaching wisdom, teaching you to walk away from that which is destroying your soul, which is not some list of bad things that you should not do. No, it's a way of looking at the world. The kingdom of God is really here. Now change the way you think because the kingdom of God is what matters and not the kingdom of this world. Do you see how this is all connected in one flow? Are you with me? Questions, queries. Uh, rebuttals. If you disagree with me, I want to hear it. Talk to me. I won't shut you down. I want to hear what you got to say. We've got like a half hour left. I want you to fill it, not me. Come on, y'all. My brain doesn't process that quickly. No, go. Um, I, like, the Lord personally has been, like, taking me into the book of Song of Solomon. <laughs> so I've been, ta I've been talking with my friend Mahala about it. Um, and just, like, just teaching me how, like, the Lord loves us in ways that, like, we don't typically talk about, yeah. which is like he loves us in an intimate way that we can't even describe. And I'm trying to picture that with the book, but like I'm going to be real and my paradigm is a little shifted. So like I'm 
it's getting to where it's like, you know, it's like this and it's like that, but like I'm not fully off of it, so I need help. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know even like if you can help with that. But, uh, Absolutely. Maybe not in the next 10 minutes, but I can. I, we went through the Book of Song of Solomon twice in this Bible study, and they're all available out there on my website, pastorjoshhawkins.com. You can go find them. Uh, we walked through it verse by verse, so you should be able to. What I would say is don't be too like nitty-gritty literal in your, in your interpretation of the metaphors. Okay, Just do your best. Um, I mean, seriously though, uh, because people that like drill down on the, on, on some of the like really like detailed stuff, like <laughs> it's a, it gets a little bit ridiculous. It's like, come on guys, relax. Like, <laughs> like it's not, it's not, can you just receive the spirit of what's being said and not have to ask about like, why is my neck like a tower? Like, you know, like, <laughs> like, haven't you ever thought that a woman with a long neck has a beautiful neck? I mean, haven't you ever thought that? Okay, that's what he's saying, okay? He's saying that she has a beautiful, graceful, long neck. That's what he's saying. It's not about, like, your neck is like a tower, and your neck turns your head, and so it's all about, you know, the way that your head, the way that your mind is situated is set in a place of refuge. Stop that bullcrap. No. The groom is taking delight in the details about the bride. He knows what she looks like. He knows her, the way that she looks, the way that she is, and he loves every detail of her. Okay? That's the point. It is not like, like there's, I heard this one, I think it might have been Mike Bickle, which forgive me, Mike, I love you, you know. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, he was like, it, there's this one place where it talks about her having all her teeth, which in that day and age would have been quite an accomplishment. Like, they didn't yeah. have dentistry, people. Let's remember this. They didn't understand how to take care of the teeth. And, and it says, you have all your teeth. Like, each one has its twin, and they're very white. They're like lambs coming up from the washing. Like, okay, he's saying he likes her smile and that her, that her teeth are beautiful. And, but, but what they, like, took that as was, like, the teeth represent the way that we process the word of God as we take it in and chew on it. And it's all about you have the ability to chew on the word of God. And I'm like, give me a break. That is not what this is about. It's kind of gross. So just hang back, right? <laughs> nasty. Hear what is being expressed. It's a poem. It's a song. Okay. Hear what's being expressed. Get the gist. Don't go into the details because they're not useful. Does that make sense? Okay. But there are statements in that book, which if you will hear them, like in the core of you, they will shift you. They will change the way that you understand how God feels about you. When you hear him say, you are altogether lovely. Think about that for just a minute. The beautiful almighty God looking upon you and saying, you are altogether lovely. 
let that bounce around on the inside of your heart for a minute. And when Satan comes to try to bring accusation to you, retreat back to the safety of you are altogether lovely. Because I've done these things wrong, and he does not claim that she's perfect, although he does say there's no flaw in you, but that's not what he means. But, like, this reality that God delights in all of your, in all that you are. And live and shelter yourself in that place. And don't let the enemy come along and make you think that God has any other opinion of you because he does not. Are you with me? That's what Song of Solomon is good for. And that's what the book is about. If you watch, the book is a journey. The whole book is a journey where the, where the Shulamite woman is being pulled by her desire for him to believing that he is ultimately completely and totally desirable and I want him. The first thing she says about him is, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Like there's the, <laughs> I love it because like he, the minute she lays eyes on him, he's like, I want to kiss <laughs> her. Like he stirs her desire instantly, immediately. You know, there's uh, one of my favorite shows is is the is is uh, Thirty Rock. Have you ever watched that show? Anyway, yeah. And one of the things that the main character, which is played by Tina Fey, like when she sees something she wants, she goes, "I want to go to there." Like she, <laughs> and that's what I hear the 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 Shulamite woman saying when 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 he comes walking down the street. She's like, "I want to go to there." Like just like like ooh. <laughs> All right, she is stirred. By, by, uh, by, with desire for him. And it's not just physical desire, although that's part of it. She is stirred with desire for him, like the minute she sees him. And that pulls her into her initial encounter with him. But immediately, the minute that she actually even starts thinking about having a relationship with him, she gets, she gets distracted by her own brokenness. She immediately says, oh, I'm dark. Like, like I uh, don't wait. Wait, 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 wait. You can't love me. You don't love me. You can't love You don't love me. And she gets caught up in her own insecurity. Like immediately she does. And so the whole book is this step-by-step journey where her desire for him and his desire for her is pulling her into intimacy with him. But her, in, but her, uh, uh, I just said this word. Her brokenness, but her, but her insecurity is holding him at arm's length. He's going, he's going, honey, let me come close. And she's going, you don't really love me. You don't really like me. You're going to leave me. And the whole book is a journey out of insecurity and into his love. Yeah. Uh, like, can I just ask one thing real quick? Yeah, absolutely. Go. I think it's in like chapter six of that book. Yes. It ends up saying how like, you know... He, like his hand came through the door and then yeah. he wasn't there. Yeah. And then she goes to search and then she's beaten. She gets beat up. And so like I get how that could be like persecution or something. Right. What's the whole thing with no. like, the hand through the door and then he's gone? Okay. There's multiple times when he's calling to her and she's not responding. 
The first time, it's out of insecurity. He says, come and jump with me on the mountains. And she's like, turn my beloved and be like a stag on the mountains. Like, like I'm not ready for that. So, like, you, you do you, and I'm just going to stay right here. Like, okay, and he goes. And then that time, which is earlier on in the book, at that moment, that night, she wakes up and she's looking for him in the bed and he's gone and she does and she remembers, crap, I told him to leave. Like, he's not here because I told him not to be here. <laughs> like, I've held him at arm's length. She goes looking for him and then he meets her, right, immediately. Like, it's like no, no sooner does she leave the house than he's like, I'm here, like he was waiting outside for her. The next time she does the same thing, she pushes him away or whatever, He's at the door. He's like, let me in, baby. Come on. I'm here. I, I, you know, I, I, I'm here. I love you. I want to spend time with you. And she's too sleepy. She's distracted. She's, she's, like, she's like, what, what? And she's not waking up. And he's trying to wake her up over and over again. He's trying to wake her up. He's stirring her desire for him. Come on. I'm here. That's why he's covered with cologne. And he leaves his cologne on the doorknob, you know? Okay. And, and then she wakes up and she's like, oh, no. Yeah, I do want to be with you. She, she recognizes that she's about to be in the same situation she was in last time. And she rushes to the door, but it's too late. He's already been, he's, he's, he is, he has, like, the opportunity to be with him in that moment is over. So he sets himself at a distance from her. And this time, he makes her look harder than he did before. And this time, she runs into these guys who become abusive. They actually beat her up, and they steal her, her cloak. But that isn't... It, it's all because she was distracted and sleepy and not ready when he called her name. Then she begins to ask, have you seen my beloved? Where is he? And that's when, that's when the encounter comes again. Okay? Because he's like, he, he's like, if you don't want me around, I won't be around. And the first time that that happened, he like hung close so that she could come out. But this next time, he's letting her feel the consequences of her insecurity. Does that make sense? It's just like we talked about earlier, like, don't run to the cliff. Don't run to the cliff. Don't run to the cliff. And as they're falling, why did you do this to me? Right? This, it's the same situation here where he's been calling her. He's been trying to wake her up. He's been trying to get her up so that he can come in. She, was, she doesn't wake up. She doesn't wake up. She doesn't wake up. And she misses it. So he's, he's gone. And she ends up getting hurt. Because she didn't respond to his call. And you'll find that after that moment, she never again hesitates. Now, the beautiful thing is that after every time that that kind of separation thing happens, that she finally lets down her guard and lets him in, that there's this incredible like encounter scene that happens each time where he is speaking things over her, which are unbelievable. I mean, the other, the other phrase, the you are altogether lovely, that phrase is one I go back to constantly. There's another phrase that I go back to constantly, which is, you make my heart beat faster. With one glance of your eye, with one glint of your necklace, you have captured my heart. 
Okay, and that's I believe he says that to her after that encounter in chapter six. Like the next thing, he's like, "You've captured my heart." He's reassuring her, "I didn't leave because I don't love you. I left because you didn't want me." And your apathy and your sleepiness and your inability to respond to my call has caused you pain, and I hate that. But you need to know that my opinion of you has not changed. I'm so done. <laughs> it's so good, isn't it? It's just like, oh. I love the Song of Solomon. It's so good. It's so good. Song of Solomon is just, yeah, that, that, you make my heart beat faster. I, what? The unchangeable God, his emotions are stirred by a glance from my eye? I'm just like, Jesus, and he's like, I'm here! Like, you know what I mean? Like, like you know, like, like, what? Like, he honestly, like, like, wait a minute, I make him smile? Like, my attention towards him changed, like, changes the emotional makeup of the heart of God. Like, like, my attention toward him gives him pleasure. Like, I usually think of myself as annoying the crap out of him. Oh, here's Josh again. What did you screw up this time? Right? Isn't that how we kind of, like, think? But no, it's the opposite. God is on the edge of his seat going, when are they going to open their Bible today? Just waiting for attention from us because he wants to rush in and be with us in the midst of our stuff. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Well, and think about like, you know, like, like, you know, you're waiting for that call after the date or whatever. And you're just like, when is he going to call? Like, when am I going to get the text message? Like, what is it? You know what I mean? Like, is it, and can you imagine God in that circumstance? Like, where's the text message? Just kind of watch his phone, refreshing, refreshing, refreshing. <laughs> <laughs> like, when is he going to respond? Can you imagine? Just waiting. <laughs> Are you telling me that you've never done it? Are you telling no, me you've I never totally done it? I clearly have. I clearly have. But then afterwards, and you I was like, act I hate all myself. nonchalant, I'm like myself you. That. And then, it's so gross. haven't you ever? Haven't you ever like gotten the text message and then purposefully waited thirty yes, seconds? Yes, I have. <laughs> I've waited. I've waited like like three to like ten minutes at times. Like okay, I can't let him know that. Okay, waiting. okay, 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 okay. <laughs> you even might type it out, but you don't hit send. No, but no, then you're I like, no, I can't. Receipts on, so you don't even open it. You you read it, but you're like. Okay, I gotta wait a Oh my minutes. god, that's so funny. <laughs> Welcome to the life of a teenager. I'm not gonna open my phone because then they'll know I read it. Well, oh, that's, that's my mindset sometimes. And then we used used to be, not really as much anymore. I'm just like, now I'm just like, whatever, sure, I'm waiting around. Whatever. It is what it is. Oh, I love it. That's so funny. I was like, oh, you took me, took, took an hour and a half to reply? Okay. Oh, wait, five minutes tops. Anyway, God, this is what you what you gotta understand is Jesus. Jesus is not insecure like that. Jesus just wants you, period. And Jesus is like, I'm in. 
I am in, and I don't care if you think I'm clingy, and I don't care if you think that, like, like I have no, I Jesus has no insecurity about his passion for you, none whatsoever. He adores you. Have you ever seen the movie Stranger Than Fiction? If you haven't, you need to. I don't know, maybe. Stranger Than Fiction. It's got Emma Thompson and Will Ferrell and and uh, what's her name? The the the. Gyllenhaal, Maggie Gyllenhaal. Oh, I is that whenever that author no, wrote a book about his life? Or whatever? Yes, real. but there's this scene where Will Ferrell is talking to Maggie Gyllenhaal, oh and he just, he like he 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 he's trying to convince her to like like be his girlfriend, but he's so like unable to like he has no game whatsoever, and he's just like, <laughs> I want you. And she was like, is that it? Or and she's just like, and he's just like, I didn't really get past. I want you. I just I want you. <laughs> Like, There's for sure a, a GIF on um, the like Apple. Phones yeah, it's just movie. him going. Yes, I want, I want you. you. <laughs> <laughs> and like, and but but it's but that's but that's where God's at. He's like, I'm not ashamed of the fact that I desire you. I'm not ashamed of the fact that I want you. And that's not going to change no matter what you do to me. And it's not going to change no matter how you treat me. And it's not going to change. No matter what's what what's going on with you, I am in for you. If you want me there, I'm there. That's him. Period. And we've got to live in that realization at all times. We were just talking about Song of Solomon, Sam. <laughs> I didn't even bring it up. That's the cool part. <laughs> well, we could go there too. <laughs> <laughs> Song of Solomon, the 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 handbook for the for the biblical lover. Just don't. What's up? Go. Forceful, my God. I think it's really foreign and odd to think of my relationship with the Father. Yep. I think that's really odd. And right. Weird, and I don't know how to perceive that just yet. It's weird. Yeah. Because like all my life I've been taught opposite. Right. <laughs> of everything you just described. Well, God is the masculine before which all else is feminine. But let's let's. Uh... Hold up. <laughs> I'm quoting C.S. Lewis. God is the masculine before all which el- before which all else is feminine. But but let's let's uh, <laughs> let's 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 move beyond our homophobia and let's move beyond our like Mr. Macho whatever. It isn't about sex. I wasn't meaning It's that. so much, so far beyond. Well, then what's the issue? I think because, like, me personally, anyway, I've always taught that, we're talking about that, that clingy love, that, like, right. call me, I'll be there in an instant, and yeah. I'm not ashamed of how I feel about you. Right. I've been taught that that's, like, not, I don't know if it's wrong is the right word, not necessarily wrong, but it's like, like, clingy is bad, and it's cringy. Not like See, God is completely there without the, with, without the, like desperation, without the, I'm there because I need you. He doesn't need you, he wants you, 
but he doesn't need you. The reason clingy is bad is because clingy is usually desperate. The reason clingy is bad is because clingy is usually pathetic. But God is neither desperate nor pathetic. God is like, I am fine without you, but I want you. But this is God. We're talking about someone who is, 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 you can't categorize him. It's not, he is a category unto himself. Yeah. I want you. I created you because I want you. I created you because I want you. And you're not trash, nor are you dirt. You are made in the image of God. So do not ever call yourself those things again. Because you are speaking of God himself when you speak that way about the one who is made in his image. You are not trash, nor are you dirt, nor are you dust. You were dust. You were created in the image of God. And without his sustaining life, you will become dust again. But you are the image of the, you are the image of God. That's who you are. Recognize that God is not lowering himself when he loves you. <laughs> okay. I'm out. <laughs> that was actually very good. I'm crying. It's okay. Casual. Writing that down. What'd you say? Recognize God. You sound like late 90s rap album instead of recognize. Very different. Very <laughs> <laughs> I heard it too when I said it. But that's not where I'm at. What Jesus is doing, what Jesus has done, and what Jesus is at work doing now in you is giving you back, not something that wasn't yours, but giving you back that which you were created to have, which is the fullness of the image of God. You were created to be the, the bearer of his image. Sin came in and infested you and made you unable See, that's, but that's not right. It's not that it made you unable. Sin came in and, and infested you and started causing you to bear a different image. Hey! Oh my God, I'm so excited. Everybody's all excited about Preston. I said, I gasped. Sin, sin came in. Sin came in and turned the angled mirror of you so that it would reflect something other than God. And Jesus is turning it back. Does that make sense? It isn't that sin made you incapable of reflecting God's image. That's incorrect. Sin is reflecting anything other than God. That's what sin is. I was, I was doing a dig through scripture the other day on, and, and we're out of time, but I, I'm going to go these three minutes on this. And... <coughs> Does sin separate us from God, yes or no? Yes. 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 That's what we've always heard, right? Sin but not, covering, right? Sin. Like he, it's not that he's not there in the middle of that. I don't think it separates us from God, but I do think it makes a, I do think it brings a feeling of shame which causes us to separate ourselves from God. Amen. 
You are, but when we say sin separates us from God, we're acting as if sin in our lives, lives makes God leave. Okay, but that's wrong. It's we're 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 making sin a substance, and sin is not a substance. Sin is an absence. Okay, so when you say sin separates us from God, that's like that's like adding a, a second thing when there isn't. The way we should say it is sin is separation from God. When we think of ourselves or begin to act as if we are separate from God, that is sin. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And do you see the difference? Okay. And I began to look up all the different scriptures that might point to, and there, and every single one of them is God saying, here I am and humans saying, and here I ain't. Every single one of them where God says your sin has separated you from me is, is God saying, I'm right here. I set before you life and death, choose life and they're choosing death. That's what it is. It isn't that they chose death, therefore God left them. No, it's choose God or choose something else and they chose something else. It's the separation from God that is sin. It's not the other way around. Does that make sense? Yeah. So what is repentance from sin? If sin is separating yourself from God, what is repentance from sin? What is the 180 degree turn from sin? Reconnecting, yourself. Reconnecting with God. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. yeah. That's what we're talking about. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love. Lord, I ask... Mm. Father, my prayer, prayer over myself and over every person in this room is that you would strengthen us by your spirit in our inner being so that Christ might dwell in our hearts through faith and we might understand together with all the saints how high and how wide and how deep is the love of Christ. That we may come to know what is unknowable by the human mind, that revelation of your love in all its dimensions would be made manifest in us so that we can be filled to all the fullness of God. And to you, Lord, who is able to do more than we ask, imagine, or think, be glory and honor and praise forever and ever. Amen and amen. Rest in the sand, stand up and help me.